0: to their father and mother, expecting that their father and mother will be people like that who look not only to their own interests but to the interests of others. And so the church, the the people of God, the children of God, like a family, we are children, we're siblings, um, we're those who are in Christ who seek Christ's interests, seek the interests of others who are in him. And by being part of that identity, being part of that people, we share both in the joys and in the sorrows. Because the interests of Jesus Christ are deeply, completely, for the welfare of others, especially those who are in him, children of God. Over the last several weeks, we've been preaching from uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians about how we are to be called to be people of whole and holy joy. People whose Um, liveliness or life is not um, completely dependent upon circumstances, whether in suffering or in rejoicing, but that our life at all times is enlivened by the life of Christ. And we're living as citizens of heaven in the midst of um, different nations that themselves are passing away. We're in a kind of already not yet of that reality of, of full rejoicing. And we're holding fast to the word of life, the promise that God has made things new in Jesus Christ, that sin and death are um, defeated and on the decline, they are in retreat. And we do that not merely in professing belief, just saying that we assent to certain things of the gospel, but embodying those beliefs through our words, our actions, embodying those beliefs through a manner of life that is worthy, that is representative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, um, Deacon Andy shared about how we are not to be people who are grumbling or arguing, um, and he pointed back to the children of Israel in the wilderness who were grumbling and arguing, um, contesting with, with Moses. But instead, we are to be God's children like in the days of Daniel, who were like shining lights in the midst of darkness. And he pointed for those things. Don't, don't pray for patience um, but pray for gratitude, that we are not to be grumbling or arguing, but people who practice thanksgiving and, th- and the thankfulness that God has given us life and that he's, for us, enlivened us in Jesus Christ. And so that's not to, the d- to, to deny things that are lamentable, deny things that, are, that cause sorrow, but it is rooting ourselves in that truth, reality, that death and its shadow do not have the final word. So this week, Paul presents two examples of people who are living out that manner of life worthy of the gospel, people who embody the interests of Christ. And first is Timothy, who was as a son to Paul, and Epaphroditus, who he describes as a brother and a fellow soldier with him. They're men like a son and a brother to Paul, people who sought the interests of others and like him, we're deeply moved and invested, identified with the joys and sorrows of the people of God. He's calling people who are in Christ um, that to, to, live, um, to live in that identity that God showed his interest for us by taking the form of a servant for our sake. That for the joy sent before him, Jesus endured the cross. That for us and for our salvation, God poured himself out even unto death. And so our life is not what we can um, what we can gain from others, but how and how we can achieve our own interests, but uh, to live out that same love that Christ showed for us. That we will people will know that we are as disciples because we love one another as Christ loved us. And Paul, through must this letter shows that example in himself that he was passionate to share the good news of God in Christ, and he shared it in word and action. He's writing again from prison. He was bold to speak. He was exemplary in the way that he imitated Jesus. He was not seeking his own, um, his own advantage. That even when there were people who were um, preaching sort of to get under his skin, he said, I, I just, I rejoice that the gospel is proclaimed. His posture was that to live is Christ, to die is gain. that that he shared um, the interests of Jesus Christ. He did that through discipleship of others. And today's passage gives a personal description of his discipleship um, and his relationship with Timothy. Paul met Timothy on the second missionary journey, which was the journey that brought um, Paul and Timothy to Philippi in the first place. Timothy was the son of a Gentile father and a Jewish mother, um, and Paul circumcised uh, Timothy for the sake of mission to the Jews. And so in that way, it's, even, it's kind of an image even deeper of, of fatherhood, taking that role that, 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 Paul, uh, that Timothy's father had not, had not taken. He was with Paul, um, again, even as he came to Philippi. And so the Philippians knew, knew Timothy, that he was, um, uh, knew of his help to, uh, to Paul and they wrote and they traveled together. As you look through the New Testament, you'll see many times where it's Paul and Timothy together. Timothy um, was as a son uh, to Paul, a son in the gospel. He shared with Paul in seeking Jesus' interests for others, particularly for any of those that, on these missionary journeys. And in this letter, it says how he shared Paul's concerns for the Philippians that Paul and Timothy had a secure relationship with one another like a father and a son, a relationship of trust and respect and of service, and it had come to a point where the, the security of their relationship was given. But they had a privileged relationship. It wasn't as though every person um, whom Paul discipled became as a son to him, um, and yet we don't also see that there was a kind of crony, cronyism or a favoritism towards Timothy Clearly, Paul was still moved um, for others and, and was willing to, to send Timothy into places of, of great cost as sort of an, a representative of him um, and, and uh, one who could communicate for him and ease Paul's own anxiety for the welfare of the Philippians um, and trusting him that he might bring the Philippians the maturity which Paul described. So Paul describes first Timothy, and then he speaks of Epaphroditus. Um, several months ago, we were talking uh, through Philippians, and uh, Father Chris mentioned that it seemed like a little bit like Timothy's so so great, and so you get Epaphroditus. Like it was, it was kind of like a and so you'll have to settle. But I don't think it's it's quite it's quite that right. Timothy is as a son, but that's not to diminish um, the help and the quality of Epaphroditus. He's as a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, and a messenger and minister to Paul's needs. And Epaphroditus was one who was kind of an emissary back and forth with the Philippians. He brought material gifts um, uh, from them to Paul. And now Paul was sending him back to Philippi with encouragement. Um, Maybe just words words of of Paul's um, condition, but also these words of this letter of calling them um, to a unity and a manner of life worthy of the gospel. Again, it was an example of identity with the joys and sorrows of others. And Epaphroditus um, suffered greatly for the sake of the gospel. His suffering, uh, he shared in Paul's suffering he suffered for the sake of the work of Christ in illness. And there was a, a mutuality, there was a, um, a love and affection and emotion between the Philippians and Epaphroditus um, that his, his, his illness provoked concern among them. The reality um, of spiritual family, of that kind of sons and brothers in the faith, doesn't collapse the bonds that we have in our natural life, in our natural or, or civil um, relationships. We're still called to be people who honor our father and mother, to have love and respect for our siblings, and, 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 and in this passage, or in the gospel passage, to even to honor the emperor, an emperor who puts himself up as a god. In Matthew 15, Jesus challenged people who would justify abandonment of their parents um, f- by some sort of distorted piety, saying what, I, what my parents would have gained for me, the responsibility that I had, I'm so pious that I will give it to God. Um, Jesus rebuked them for setting Jesus's, or God's command against that tradition um, of interpretation. And it was that kind of um, setting their piety against responsibility for others was a manner of life inconsistent with God's word and with um, the, the love that God's people were to have and responsibility for one another. And of course, with the command to honor one's father and mother. And as complicated and as painful as our relationships with our natural uh, parents might be, our natural families, we're s- those relationships are still deserving of a basic level of honor. And similarly, in our gospel lesson, The citizenship in heaven, um, looking for a kingdom to come, does not um, supplant um, a measure of respect that we have for civil authorities or government. Even respect for figures like Caesar at that time who were undisputed opponents of Christ and yet spiritual family um, is, is a good. Um, we don't get to choose our natural families and, and in many ways we don't get to choose our spiritual family as well. God assembles us as a new household of faith and that new household of faith provides an opportunity for us to receive perhaps things that our fathers or our mothers or our siblings did not or have not or by different circumstances cannot give to us. The household of faith is one in which people can be for one another. People who are deeply moved by the joys and sorrows of others, celebrating births, lamenting and and, um, mourning deaths, um, supporting one another young and old in the life in Christ and growing up in maturity. The church um, and the people of God can be men and women who aren't, um, they're neither uncritical cheerleaders, just saying, you do everything right all the time, um, nor devil's advocates, again, that kind of figure that is looming in the background causing self-doubt, but people who can be true um, uh, true and mature parents, siblings, and children in the faith. And it, it's, it's really speculative, but I'd love to be a fly on the wall um, on the, the sort of discourses between Timothy and Paul. Um, Paul was uh, sort of a, a fiery Russian kind of guy, and how might Timothy have informed Paul's writings and articulations of even this letter and others which we read? He was one who was, again, for his father and the Lord, but I think probably for him in a way in, in which it was bringing wisdom um, and bringing wise counsel. And so the spiritual family is a, is a assembly of people who seek Christ's interests together and for one another. Support like the Philippians um, supported Paul financially. Support like those who endure suffering um, for the sake of others visit one another in sickness, Lament with one another in their sorrows. Encourage one another in word and action, just paying attention to the needs of the body so that someone who who lives far away from their natural family has a family within the household of faith. It is, again, a tremendous gift to be on the receiving end of mentorship and care of people who care for the welfare of others, someone who is for you. But that doesn't happen unless you and I practice that ourselves. Unless you or I are members of Christ's spiritual family one to another. That whether we're um, a teen, whether we're adult, whether we're elders, it's never too early, it's never too late for us to express and develop interests in what Christ is interested in and to practice that. To continue to honor our father and mother, even though that that can be a a difficult relationship, to honor spiritual mothers and fathers among us, to be brothers and sisters one to another, to be models to one another. And I know um, within our church we have junior youth volunteers, which maybe you know it, maybe you don't, but just how important that is um, to the children of the church to see um, Teenagers who are there supporting them, serving, um, serving them, uh, being a model of of Christ in their in their midst. So thank you, junior youth, for doing that. There are sometimes Christian settings in which um, spiritual family and spiritual. Um, Um, analogy of fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters can just become another way to gain um, formal or informal status within the community. Um, Sort of jockeying to say, I'm mentoring this person or I'm mentoring this many people or I'm being mentored by this one person. Um, Obviously, that's not the point of of what the household of faith is to be and how it, it supports one another, how we're invested in each other's joys and sorrows. Your comparative status um, uh, from an outside perspective is far less important from simply seeking Christ's interest for others, not caring whether or not this is a father, son, mother, daughter, brother, sister, that kind of relationship, Um, but simply um, wishing to share the benefits of the spiritual household of faith with others. As Paul wrote in Romans, he said, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, and honor one another above yourselves. Again, we can't be people who claim um, a family, um, a spiritual family or um, our natural family unilaterally. We don't choose our brothers or sisters within the body of Christ. We simply look you know, I mean, if you were to look, look around with each other, maybe especially at the peace, and give thanks for the people around you that that belonging in um, the family of God brings participation um, in sorrows, but as well as joys and support within the body of Christ. And so let's join with one another in celebration, be with each other in our disappointment and lament, and together, all together, be people of God who, um, walking through those joys, walking through those sorrows, are enlivened by the life of Christ, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then we will each one of us be people who are worthy of such honor um, because we all have the same mind and the same love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.